Please stand for the reading of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, Suddenly, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised up from the dead. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. This is Transfiguration Sunday, a Sunday when we celebrate the brilliance, the awesomeness of Jesus. The message that he brings of love, and we are called to continue to shine that light as his followers. We spent three weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, and now we've gone to a new mountain. In northern Jerusalem, in you find that the mount on which the sermon was given is really more of a plateau leading up to the Sea of Galilee. It's actually called the Chorazim Plateau. And about 44 miles away, we found Mount Hermon, which is the mountain on which the transfiguration took place. So you can imagine Jesus traveling and ministering to the people, walking 44 miles until this day. And he calls his disciples together with him, and they go to that mountaintop, and they have an awe-inspiring experience. I, I struggle to say awesome because I don't want it to sound like, we use awesome so routinely nowadays, it doesn't mean so much. And I want you to realize that we're talking about awe-inspiring, awestruck, awesome. This was amazing, this experience that they had. And you can imagine that Peter was 
pretty taken back by it. I, I imagine Peter, in his impetuosity, probably just started babbling, like, what do I do? He's, and he sees next to his friend, his rabbi, Jesus, he sees the great prophets, Moses and Elijah. And he doesn't know what to say. He's awestruck. He doesn't know how to behave. And so he immediately blurts out, let me make some dwelling places. He wants to hold on to this experience. It's overwhelming, but he knows that it's good, and he wants to grab a hold of it with both hands. And he figures, if I build dwellings, they'll stay here. But that's not the way things happen. Not often, not with those experiences. Those experiences that are so awesome in our lives are often fleeting. But what is most important is that we we reflect on them. We find time in the silence to really process them and understand what's going on. It reminds me of a story of a brilliant magician who was hired to, to do his act on a cruise ship. But every time he would do his magic tricks, the captain's parrot would say, he's a phony, that's a trick, that's not magic. And so then one day, the, the ship goes down, it sinks, and the poor parrot and the magician are on this lifeboat together, glaring at each other, not knowing what to say. And finally, the parrot breaks the silence and, say, and says, okay, I give up. What'd you do with the ship? <laughs> you can only imagine this kind of an experience. Peter didn't know what to think. He's up there on the top of the mountain. He sees these prophets who are long dead, people that he admires. And it's almost like God comes along. If you heard, as Aaron was reading, you heard that after Peter blurted that out, the cloud descended on them. It was almost like God said to Peter, shh, hush, calm down. It's all good. And then the words from that cloud, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. These are God's words about Jesus, who is shining, who is emanating such light. It must have been an awesome experience. One that Peter couldn't understand, one that I'm sure James and John couldn't either. Something that was so awesome. I'm not sure we always understand either. But it's good to try. It's good to take a moment to think about it. What is it that's so awesome about Jesus? What is it that's so awesome about this light, this love of God that emanates from him through us? What is the meaning? These kinds of things often happen in mountaintop experiences. Barbara Brown Taylor, an Episcopal priest, writes often about such things. She calls this mountaintop experiences thin places. That's something that we hear in the Celtic tradition, too. A place where the barrier between us and God is so thin. And you're so much more ready to experience the realness of God, the light of God, the love of God, when we sort of strip everything away. And that's what we do when we climb a mountain, isn't it? We don't bring our stuff along with us. It's a, it's a trip where we're, we've let go of the things we're carrying. 
we're exercising. And you can draw those analogies into your spiritual life too. We're exercising our spiritual disciplines. We're stripping away the things of the world. We're seeking those mountaintop experiences where we can truly see the glory of God, the light of God. There's a line in a comic strip one of those peanut strips where Snoopy's brother Spike, the one who lives in the desert, he's just leaning against a cactus and he's writing a letter and he says, at night the sun goes down and the stars come out and then in the morning the sun comes up again. It's so exciting to live in the desert. It's so exciting because he has stripped away all of that other stuff that keeps us inside all the time, looking down, not experiencing life. But imagine those things that happen every single day that are available for us to, to, to revel in because God has given them to us. Things like the sunrise and the sunset. Things like the stars that come out at night. You know, I'm particularly blessed because I work here down the hall from a bunch of little kids. And every once in a while, there's a parade. It's really awesome. And it just doesn't happen on, on Halloween. It happens all the time. We had a dress-up parade a couple weeks ago. This past week, it was a color parade, rainbow streamers. And all these little kids come marching down from Hannah Hall and through the sanctuary. Hi, Pastor Cheryl. And I never want that to become routine. I want that to always be awesome and awe-inspiring and for me to be awestruck by that. I want to, to see those sunsets and those sunrises and the stars at night. And you know the way I make the dwellings that Peter made? I take pictures. Oh, I've got to capture that. I've got to capture the beauty of that. I've got to capture the memory. I write in my journal. I capture the memory. But nothing substitutes for having that experience. And so I guess when we celebrate Transfiguration Sunday, we need to remember to avail ourselves of those opportunities, those times when God is present to us. And God is present to us on Sundays in the faces of one another, in the faces of our family, those we work with, the nature that is so beautiful around us. And seeing Christ in this way is precious. And I think about that when I read the last part of this scripture. The part when, as Jesus was walking down the mountainside with the disciples, he says to them, don't tell anybody what you've seen. It's like it's precious. It's not ready to be shared yet. It's still a kernel until after the Son of Man has arisen from the dead, which now has happened. And so we are empowered to share this wonderful story, the story of glory and light and love, all that Jesus is doing in and through us each and every day. I might have talked before about the lectionary. The Revised Common Lectionary is something that Christians throughout the world use throughout all of the weeks of the year. And it's the Bible scriptures that we, that we rely on to present our sermons. And some people do sermon series, and that's another way of doing things. But Catholics and Christians throughout the world all rely on this similar calendar. <clears throat> and oftentimes, the four readings that come from the Old Testament, the Gospel, the Epistles, and the Psalms 
are very disparate. Perhaps in the summer, you notice especially that they are disparate. Their stories do not line up. On days like today, Transfiguration Sunday, they do. So we read to you from the Gospel. But the mountaintop experience, the transfiguration experience, exists in some of the other lectionary passages this week, too. And one is that of Moses, one of the people who appeared, the prophet who appeared beside Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that Moses had an awesome experience himself, an experience of God where the bush glowed, the burning bush, right? And if you all, as a reference, see in your mind's eye Charlton Heston when he comes down from the mountain and sees the, he's all glowing and everything, you, you can kind of see what I'm talking about. And you remember from Scripture the story where Moses is hidden. He's tucked into a cleft in the rock because it is not for people to see the glory of God. But he sees his backside. He sees the end of that glory. In Exodus, the passage that is in this week's lesson reads, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain. That would be awesome. That would be awesome to see, wouldn't it? And I love how that ties into our first hymn this week. We are standing on holy ground. We remember that passage from Exodus where Moses is talking about taking the sandals off his feet for where he stands is holy ground. When I was doing um, a seminar with some folks one time, and we were singing that song, and we had the images on the PowerPoint, I had images of, like, shoes being taken off and that sort of thing. And then the last image, it was for a church, was their church. We are standing on holy ground. And I can remember people actually bursting into tears, just that realization, that, that openness, that that allowing themselves to believe that this is holy ground. This is a sacred place. This is where God is. And that is true. That is what we believe as Christians about this place where we live, that God has created it, that God glorifies God's self. And we are able to see it. It is revealed to us. We don't have to hide ourselves in the rock as Moses did. These kinds of experiences change us in irreversible ways. Mountaintop experiences in our faith journey become those moments of revelation that give us something to hold on to for the rest of our lives. We remember those times when we were so touched by God that we were able to see God revealed as God truly was. Just as Jesus was revealing himself to his disciples as the Son of God in this moment, in this moment, they knew he was more than just a rabbi, more than just someone they were following. He was the Son of God. So what if the church lived out its life in such a way that others could not help but see it? What if we believe this so strongly that, that we have seen that glory of God on that mountaintop? What if we believe that so sincerely that people saw us and thought, wow, I've got to get me some of that? What if Christians were so different that society became long-necked gawkers just trying to check them out? What if Christians were the people at which children and adults pointed their fingers and said, hey, look at that? What if we so lived the love, the salvation, the peace, and hope of God 
that we almost seemed out of place in the world around us. Are we willing to be that radical? To be so full of love, for hatred to be so absent from our lives that we almost seem different than the rest of the world? What if we were truly transformed into the very people of God? Wouldn't it be fun, exciting, and wonderful if people were lining the sidewalks around our church just to see what makes us so odd, what makes us tick? So the third place that the Transfiguration story appears is in the epistle of Peter, the writing of Peter, the very one who wanted to build those dwellings, the one who was an eyewitness to what was going on. He tells us in his message that this is all about the character and the content of the coming king and his kingdom. The character of Jesus Christ and the content of the kingdom that is to come. God says, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Peter seems to be at pains to stress that not only did he witness the transfiguration of Jesus with his eyes, but he also heard the words of God. This is conveyed twice in this scripture. First, that Jesus received honor and glory from God, and second, when the voice speaks, this is my son. And I bet you remember that these words were spoken by God at the baptism of Jesus, too. When John took him to the river Jordan and baptized him, the heavens opened, the dove descended. This is my son. Jesus' identity is caught up in the relationship that he has with God. He is the beloved of God, and that makes him who he is. Our identity tells who we are. I am Wesley's pastor. That's a significant part of my identity. I am Jim's wife. That's a significant part of my identity. God loves me. That's who I am. That's true for all of us. Our relationships are who we are. Our relationships with one another, our relationships within this church, our relationship with God. We are who we are in relationship with. That is our identity. It is for the pleasure of God for his son, a pleasure that is so innate in that relationship needing no explanation. And as this is true for Jesus, so it is true for us. God delights in God's sons and daughters just because they are God's sons and daughters. God created you and God loves you, not because of anything you do or achieve, but because God created you. You are beloved. It is the pleasure of God as his son Jesus is faithful to his own identity. And that event of the transfiguration suggests that the identity of Jesus is found within that loving relationship. His life, purpose, and mission are his true identity. Isn't that wonderful to think that our mission is our identity? Our call to be loving in this world is identity. Our call to be peaceful in this world is our identity. And God says, listen 
to him. It's a gift of revelation. Listen to Jesus as he explains, as he bears witness to who he truly is, the light of the world, the love. In his book, This Sunrise of Wonder, Michael Main writes this to his grandchildren. If I could have waved a fairy godfather's wand at your birth and wished upon you just one gift, it would not have been beauty or riches or a long life. It would have been the gift of wonder. We should all live with a sense of awe at all that God is doing and has done for us. That gift of wonder, I think, is what Jesus was giving to us in this moment of transfiguration on the mountaintop. This moment when he changed from just a rabbi or it appeared to the disciples that he changed, but he was fully revealing himself. This moment of awe is what he has given us. This is time to stop and smell the roses, to go outside and view a sunset, to climb a mountain and experience that awe, to draw nearer to God in your relationship with God. The brilliance of Jesus and his message of love is awe-inspiring. And we are called to continue to shine that light as his followers. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.